Welcome to today's webinar titled, How a Lean Adoption Strategy for Public Schools Applies to Everyone. My name is Mark Graben. I'm a senior advisor for Kinexus, and I'm going to be playing the role of host and moderator today. I'm very happy to be joined uh, as a returning webinar presenter, um, Harry Kenworthy, and I'll introduce Harry in a second. So before handing things off to Harry, just want to um, introduce him. You know, Harry and I met um, maybe five or six years ago at a Lean conference on the East Coast, I think, and we had a lot to talk about. You know, we, we both share a background originally in manufacturing. I've ended up doing uh, work in healthcare. Um, Harry has been focused in government, which I found really fascinating. It seems like that's uh, a really uh, important uh, challenge, a really big challenge, and he and his firm I have been doing great work uh, in that realm. Um, today, Harry's going to be talking about uh, the public schools, and I, I've only heard of a, a few instances of school systems uh, applying lean, but when I've talked to um, superintendents uh, a couple of times, including my the district I grew up in in Livonia, Michigan, if um, any, anyone ends up watching this, um, you know, it, a lot of it seemed very familiar to me. Lean leadership is lean leadership, whether it's in... Uh, manufacturing, healthcare, government, or schools. And that's why I think today's webinar uh, is going to be really helpful um, to, to people, regardless of industry, on this idea of a lean adoption strategy. And the final thing I'll mention, uh, Harry, uh, fairly recently, late last year, published a book called Lean Government Now, which you can either, um, I, I encourage you to check it out and read it or send it to uh, somebody in uh, government at, at a local, state, or maybe even federal level. Um, so with that, I want to welcome uh, Harry Kenworthy, and uh, I'll hand things over to you. Thanks for being here today. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. It's great to be back with you again. I'm really excited about today's presentation. There's a lot of good material in here. And I think, um, although we're going to be talking about a school system, it, it, the broader context applies to really everyone. Uh, this isn't going to be a session to talk too much about tools and techniques. So I want to get right into it a little bit. The areas we're going to talk about is why lean fails too often. How's that for an exciting, positive start? <laughs> why the organizational knowledge undermines lean. So we have a lot of uh, issues in that area too. Uh, when and how leadership be should become engaged and uh, cover what we see as a proven path that was applied at the Des Moines, Iowa public school system. So to get on with the uh, session. So here, here's, the, here's the first part. You know, when you introduce lean in organizations, People see this as, oh yeah, these, these tools and techniques are pretty straight. I, I get this. I can do five S's. I can organize the workplace better. I can wind up, uh, I can understand single piece flow. I can understand a lot of these things. It's, it's kind of a lot of it's common sense and, and it really seems like it's gonna be easy to do. So don't worry about this. I think we, I think we got this. I think we know what we need to do. Uh, we also see this in quotations uh, all the time and RFQs and RFPs because in the government sector essentially and if you go to why things fail uh, in the government sector you see all the time that there's an RFP or an RFQ that comes out and and how did that get generated it got generated by somebody in the organization either seeing what some other other organizations were doing for lean and, and how they were approaching it, whether they want to get Six Sigma black belts or green belts or what, what approach they're going to take. And with their limited knowledge, maybe they've been to a couple sessions or they read a little bit, been online, they form an RFP, they put an RFP together. So it's a request for proposal or request for quote. And then what you look at, when you look at that, you go, oh my God, you know, all they're doing is focusing on tools. And yes, they will get some gains along the way, but the tools part of it is is just, is kind of really, and I'll, I'll show a slide later, is kind of the, is the minor part about that. So top people tend to, and you'll see main reason for failure, management support, leadership, and alignment. It's not a surprise. Uh, we see top people all the time delegating lean, and they don't lead. They just avoid, they develop, they just avoid developing their own lean expertise and they avoid any discipline in the organization for doing lean. And, and as a consequence, they don't learn because they're not doing. And um, 
to send an example last week out of Canada where I got contacted by an individual that was in an organization that was about 1,400 people. And, and she was a green belt in that organization. And she was you know, pretty much the one of the, the few there and was, you know, we're very interested in how, how do you get traction and understanding with upper level management so they will get on board and, and, and start moving forward and understand the roles they have to play and begin dealing implementation. So once again, starting with the shiny good news, <laughs> here's the common failure modes for lean deployment. And this is really modeled after Dr. John Carter's work at Harvard on change management, because it really is you're introducing a major change into the organization. And, and lean is a major change, uh, depending on how you're doing it. And other organizations that might be, hey, we're going to do lean for this month and next month, and then we're going to move on to something else. Um, and that happens too. But if you look at these common failure modes, you start with, is there a sense of urgency to do something? Why should we be doing it? Uh, is senior management involved? And, and most, I'd say more than half the implementations that we see, senior management, senior leadership doesn't even attend training. Uh, they're not involved. They've delegated the responsibility. Is there a guiding coalition? Do you have a steering committee in place? Do you have champions in place? Is the upper level management team only in their particular areas? What about accountability for results? Is there a vision and strategy? You know, how does that tie in? What's the vision? What does it look like? Where are we going to go to? What's it going to look like? How, is it, how am I going to be involved? What's the strategy to get there? And we see many, many times that people will start with some training, some tools training, and strategically they haven't thought through, what do we do next? So our, our advice always is think about training strategically strategically what do you want to do what are the outcomes you're looking for and then work on it that way as opposed to let's just train everybody or let's train a whole bunch of belts and have those folks go in our organization and try and develop projects on their own and get them going when we haven't got that guiding coalition in place how have we communicated the change so we are big fans of things like elevator speeches uh, setting up intranet sites uh, setting up postings, uh, communications being done in huddle sessions, the communications are being done, the introductory communications are being done by the top management leadership team. So if something was ro rolling out to an agency, if it was a very big agency, um, to get it going, it might be a, a small video to get started as an introduction by the top lead person. But then each department head in that agency would actually present the material maybe PowerPoint slides perhaps with some, certainly some interactive things. So they're presenting the material as opposed to somebody from the lean office coming in and presenting materials. So you wind up with a lot better communication strategy. And everybody says, well, you know, we already communicated a lot. We find that's really not the case at all. What about broad-based action for employees? Uh, you got the leadership commitment here, how are projects selected? Uh, if it's go forth and see what you can select, uh, that doesn't work too well. We like to see a situation where the top management team has come in with projects themselves and they go through a developing charter standpoint and then the steering committee is set up to really uh, do many things, including having a project selection grid developed. What are the criteria for selecting projects and how do you rank those projects so you're picking the ones that have the highest leverage to start with and, and that's what you're doing so you can generate number six, which is short-term wins. You know, create the opportunities that you're, you're showing wins for people. There's nothing that sells success like having some wins out there. And so you really gotta you know, focus on those things. Um, you got financial impact in there, no recognition ceremonies. Uh, consolidating gains, number seven, producing more change. There's no internal experts. It's all being counted on by the consultants from the outside. Uh, our personal view is we have to train our clients to do what we do, teach people how to fish. And so right from the get-go in the first boot camps, 
are the people they've selected that are what they feel are the high potential people. And those people are getting the same training in the same workshops, the boot camps, as the top management teams. So there's a there's a kind of a coordination and transfer of information back and forth between those groups. And and the folks that are being trained to be these internal coaches, as we would call them, see see the involvement of top management and can share that with other people. And then how do you anchor it in the new in the culture? Uh, so there's a lot of things to do there. Uh, certainly intranet sites are good. Um, leadership styles, a lot can be done in lean leadership, or, and we'll talk a little bit about that later uh, with the Des Moines school system. So there's a whole variety of things here also. And these are the elements. Now, the good news about this is if you see these eight elements of the failure modes for a lean deployment, all you have to do is not do these things. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like do the opposite of what's here and you're gonna be in a lot better shape. Uh, we'll talk, talk a little bit about True North. So I think we got the tools and techniques here on the left-hand side with the things, you know, supporting a challenge, Kaizen, learning to see, and continuous improvement. This is from uh, Jeff Leiker's um, approach to how he views True North. Uh, we've taken the, the Toyota production system and converted it into what we call the thinking people system, because this is what's really it's all about. And so the respect for people side, and especially the culture side, is the most important, uh, by far and away. Uh, we were into a state client uh, about a month ago. They said, well, you know, we want you guys to work with us and develop training and everything in the organization so that no matter what happens in the state organization, if the governor uh, gets, doesn't get reelected, that this will be sustained and embedded in the culture. And that's... It's, it's hopeful that that will happen, but you know, never underestimate the ability for a new manager to come in and set up a whole different set of tunes to be marching to. And if that happens, uh, it's, it's difficult for the culture not to make that shift and respond to that. And so there are situations, especially when you get into political arenas, especially a change in parties, where one party will basically say, hey, this stuff wasn't that good. Let's remove it and move on to what we want to do. So maintaining the culture is and sustaining it is really a difficult challenge in organizations. So let's get into the Des Moines school system. Uh, Des Moines school system, how do we get engaged with them? Well, we do the work with the Government Finance Officers Association, which has about 19,000 members. And Thomas Harper, I'll show Thomas in a minute, was is involved with GFOA, and as a consequence, uh, we were recommended to help them out. They wanted to do something on the lean side of things. It's a large district. Um, see here, almost 33,000 students, about 5,200 staff members. Of that, there's about, I think, 2,200 of those people are in the classrooms, teachers, support, support members in the teaching community. And then there's about 3,000 that are support groups in finance, HR, building and grounds, uh, cafeterias, busing, you know, things of that nature. So a pretty good size school system, so you have a lot of opportunities. As a result, you should look at this too, if you get a chance, there was an article in Governing Magazine by Steve Goldsmith, who's out of Harvard, uh, writing about better, faster, cheaper, and the article was bringing the power of lean to education. So this really highlighted um, the journey that Des Moines has been on. Uh, we started the work with Des Moines in April of 2015 and really concluded our effort with the organization since they're in a self-sustaining mode at this stage in uh, the middle of last year, around July, beginning of July in 2017. So um, I'll kind of go through some of the phases that they went through in their group. Uh, you have two wonderful leaders there. Uh, Thomas Ahart is the superintendent. Um, you can go on their website. I'll, I'll give you a link to that. And you'll see Thomas is on there giving a you know, message to everybody about lean. Uh, clearly demonstrated you know, leadership characteristics that we like to see. Um, the guy that was really the executive champion internally was Thomas Harper. So Thomas is the chief financial officer and he, uh, he really he attended the training. Uh, he's been guiding the steering committee, heads up the steering committee, and has been the guy that's been uh, inspirational. There is one lean coordinator, which I'll show you shortly, 
that reports into Thomas, but essentially, and she is full time, but the rest of it is handled by what they call stewards in the organization. So you've got really good leadership, which we like to see. Um, and they've gone through this. This is kind of a, a model of what we call a proven path journey. So this is the journey they've gone through. And they started with this demonstration phase, which was in the April timeframe of 2015. Uh, that consisted of running a two-day boot camp. Uh, the boot camp is pretty intensive. Uh, the requirement is top management attends, and they also had some uh, what they call internal candidates, which they subsequently called lean stewards. And, and consequently, we ran another session for the lean stewards as another boot camp. But in this boot camp, uh, people have to come in with a project they want to work on. And during the time they're there, they're developing a project charter for that project. And they're also identifying of the eight wastes, how many of those wastes exist in the particular project they're working on. Uh, thinking about that, writing that down as they're learning about waste. And coming out of there with a project charter that's pretty well developed, that becomes a basis for submitting to a steering committee uh, which was formed to then uh, quantify and, and make the decision on which project should be done first. So in their particular case, they ran the two-day boot camp. There's also a 30-day action items out of the boot camp, like doing an A3, doing some 5S activity, setting up some daily dynamic data collection. Um, those are things that are action items, so people are actually doing things. Uh, as opposed to just sending in a, a training session. Uh, a lot of interactivity, uh, fairly in-depth simulation in there too to demonstrate the difference from batch processing um, to single piece flow to what's the best process you can set up, which is the final stage of simulation. Out of that, there were four Kaizen events selected. So between April and October of 2015, uh, that's what they were doing. They were going through this demonstration phase and saying, you know, saying, seeing for themselves, you know, what was the value of doing this and how did they want to proceed going further? So as a consequence from there, and this is the boot camp activity, and you can see some of the Kaizen events here out there learning how to see. Swim lane mapping, which is our preferred methodology of mapping out processes with a lot of the details associated with it. And some classroom training activities. So that's the boot camp phase, which I mentioned previously. The second phase, uh, once they made a decision that this looks like the right thing to do and we want to move forward, the next phase was to work on what we call the tools phase. It's a little bit of a misnomer. But essentially what that means is they're going to take a lot deeper dive into tools and learn a lot more about what type of tools can be utilized, where to deploy them. And at the same stage, we have what's called now the internal um, coaches, which in the case of the Des Moines Iowa School System were called stewards. And there was about in the neighborhood of 20 people that were uh, selected that for that role, fairly high up, um, not not directors or managers of divisions in the school, but you know, fairly high-level man manager supervisors, and they went through this steward training, which is more in depth on the tools and techniques, including a boot camp, and uh, more intensive work setting up the steering committee at that stage. Uh, so the steering committee went through uh, really training on what they should be doing, uh, what was their standard work, uh, developing their project charter. Um, developing, you know, a convention, if they hadn't done it already, a naming convention for what the journey was. Uh, in the case of Des Moines, they've called it continuous improvement. Um, there's a lot of different names to give to the lean journeys that people are on. We advocate not using the word lean, if you can, uh, because it kind of has the connotation of cut to the bone, trim the fat, eliminate jobs, and we certainly don't want to convey that. So uh, they've gone through this steward training. Now the stewards are people that are now able to support the top managers within the school system. Support from the standpoint of it's not their full-time job, but they've got the ability to meet with the department heads once a month. 
understand what type of projects they're working on. It could be Kaizen events. It could be business process improvements. Uh, it could be things called just do it. Uh, it could be benchmarking. So there can be a variety of things that are going on from a project standpoint to now start spreading it through the organization. Uh, once again, the key element here is these stewards do not own the lean process. The whole lean journey and process are owned by the department heads and the managers. In the school system, there's actually five what they call chiefs. So you have a curriculum chief, a chief that heads up the school's end of it, a chief that heads up finances, a chief that heads up HR, and a chief that heads up all the facilities and operations support. So that's where the ownership resides. I think a lot of organizations really come back to making the mistake of the people at the top, the higher level managers do not receive the training, uh, but we're just going to train these other people so they'll go out there and start doing projects. And, and that's just really a, a recipe for not having a lot of great success and a lot of frustration on the part of the people that are the stewards and the coaches in the organization. So that was the next phase they moved into. Uh, this is a lean governance model that we think, you know, we believe in is a very strong model where you've got at the top the chief executive who has to have a good level of understanding about what lean's all about and actually has done stuff, not just came in for a one-hour cameo appearance, but has actually sat through a boot camp, understands the materials that are involved, has actually had hands-on experience with lean techniques, because if they do that, the lights go on. People understand the power and potential as a leader in the organization, what can be, what can happen if they don't do that, uh, is significantly diminish what the opportunities are. Then you got the leadership core team, top team where they own lean, which I mentioned previously. You got one of those key executives, which in this case was Thomas Harper, the chief financial officer. He headed up, he was the executive champion, and he led the lean, leads till, to this day the lean steering committee, and they meet monthly. And then there's the steering committee down below, and there's a lean coordinator. So there's one person. It, it's kind of interesting when you look at it from a full-time standpoint. There's one person, although she's extremely capable, that actually uh, heads up the lean effort to support uh, the rest of the organization for you know 5,200 employees. And she reports the executive champion. Her office is near the uh, school superintendent's office. So there's you know clear access to top management in the organization. And this feeds into what we call a hub and spoke model, which is, is in our view, the best model to do. You've got a, you got a lean office, but in her case is one person. You've got a variety of these stewards that have been trained internally to do the necessary coaching uh, with all the departments and the chiefs. So they're the support personnel and you got the people in the, in the leadership and management capability capacity end of it. They're the ones that own it. They're the ones that have to be driving it. They're the ones that are always asked by the executive champion and the superintendent, what are you doing? What are your plans? What projects are you working on? Let's take a look at your grid, your project grid of activities. Uh, what about training? You know, all those types of questions to drive the necessary behaviors uh, and actions within the organization. And then flowing out of that, there would be team leaders and improvement teams. So, and what we see over time is you'll wind up with Kaizen events uh, starting out being more of the dominant activity. But as, as time goes on, you'll, you'll see less and less of that. So this is a picture of Emma Knapp. Emma is the Des Moines, Iowa Continuous Improvement Coordinator. Uh, she also went ahead and got her Six Sigma black belt, which is great. Uh, Emma has uh, just a great level of enthusiasm in terms of drive and initiative to really uh, support and help everybody in the organization. But she she is she could be doing some of the training, but her main role is to support the stewards out there and provide them with more tools and provide them with more training and competencies now so that they are the ones that are providing the support to the management part of the organization uh, to get all this, you know, get the lean initiative underway and embedded in the organization. 
Uh, we talked before about the, the stewards, coaches. Uh, there's a variety of names. Uh, a lot of organizations decide to call people their green belts and black belts. Um, I guess that has a ring to it uh, from the Six Sigma time. I, I like the word coaches better. We, we advocate that, but everybody can choose what they think is most appropriate, what works for their own organization, and, and what resonates most effectively. So you got the steering committee that gets set up. And so they wind up with training. And then we take them through, as I mentioned before, standard work. So there's a series of standard work activity that they want to be able to focus on every time when they're having a steering committee meeting. In a lot of cases, there'll be the initiative names. So when we're getting started. We just started with an agency recently where the first week was the two-day boot camp with top management. Uh, some meetings with top management after that, and one day actually setting up and establishing their steering committee. Uh, a lot of that was done ahead of time, a lot of pre-work, uh, a lot of discussions as far as how this is going to work. But it can give you, uh, the thing I would say, definitely never call this a program. A program for everybody means it's going to come and it's going to go. It's going to have a, a surely a, a short duration but so never use the word program in our estimation. And we're giving you some examples here of what people have utilized. Um, Phoenix, we did work with the city of Phoenix. They call their effort Advanced Phoenix. Uh, they got the advanced team members there. That's their internal coaches. Uh, Denton, Texas, it's called Denton's Lean Journey. You got a motor vehicle department that called it uh, Evolution. Uh, you got the Peak Performance Academy in, in Denver. And uh, things go on and on in terms of what are the possibilities for naming. So you should have an initiative name um, and then develop an elevator speech for it. So this is the elevator speech for the Des Moines, Iowa school system. And you can read that. What are we doing? These are the four key elements. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? What do you expect out of me and what's in it for me? And so they're embarking on having an established approach to evaluate our district processes in order to identify opportunities for improvements, leading to increased efficiencies, effectiveness, and greater student outcomes. Why are we doing it? The Moines School System is continually asked to do more with less. In order to meet our demands for the future, we need to ensure the sustainability of our district's priorities. What do you expect out of me? Participation, collaboration, commitment, sharing ideas and suggestions. So we can all work together towards re reinventing the way we do business. And this is what you expect out of me being the internal uh, people in the organization. And then what's in it for me? You know, empowerment to improve our process, your processes and the ability to participate in making processes better in a positive way so employees can maximize their contribution to improving student achievement. This is done right up front. So in the very beginning, we want to get that's part of the initial communication strategy. What's the name? What's the elevator speech? Uh, having maybe a small video to go along with that. And then a training, say a 45 minute type of training rollout. And then you have the steering committee charter that's developed, how they're going to operate. And then the project rating grid. So you need to have some specifics on how you're going to rate projects. You can't just uh, pick them up based on emotional feelings, but there's going to be some kind of uh, criteria to better rate and quantify the projects you're going to select, especially in the beginning and especially when it comes to Kaizen events. So ideally, the thing we like to see is there's, there's the boot camp week, which starts out with the two, two days of training for top management. You wind up going through the uh, some management interviews after that, the lean steering committee, and then some more work with the coaches that first week. The project coaching week is usually several weeks after that, say two to four, three to four in that area, where now uh, we work with the coaches internally and meet with each of those top management people to understand what opportunities they have. So at the same time, the coaches are accumulating all those thoughts and ideas and they're also learning as they go through because they're hearing the questions that our consultants will ask. They're starting to get more and more in tune with what their role should be and how they should approach things and how they should support uh, the efforts for these various uh, departments and managers. So this is the website. 
uh, I would encourage all of you to access this site. Uh, within the site itself, you can drill down. This is the home page. So if you look down in the lower left-hand side, it's YB Lean. That's a, about a five-minute video from Tom Ahart talking about Lean and why it's important to the school district. They did a very nice job with that. And other videos down there on the uh, right-hand side talking about more in-depth on what's continuous improvement of all about through Lean. And then if you uh, clicked on the results tab up above, you would get the results to date. So they've, they've done about 163 different projects. And then if you look at where it's been spread, uh, business and finance, uh, continuous improvement, operations, office of schools, office of academics. There's been there's been some efforts that have been done affecting students and the progression of students and making sure how do they get onboarded into the school system, how their parents get involved, um, what is their uh, pathway as, as a say a freshman in, in in the school to get to college. What are the courses they have to take over that span of time and to make sure that there's a well thought out plan there. And you can see the bubbles down at the bottom. So the projects are broken down to, and the same thing is really on the right hand side up above, we've got departments and project types. So rapid action projects are projects and project activities that are taking about a day in, in that neighborhood. Uh, BPIs are business process improvements. Uh, they can consist of benchmarking activities. Uh, I've had some friends of mine in the lean community say, benchmarking, we shouldn't be doing benchmarking. Well, in the case of government or in the case of schools, you get a wonderful opportunity to understand what other people are doing. Similar sized school districts uh, in your area, maybe other schools. Uh, government entities, what are other cities doing, other counties doing, and learn from those people. So the question becomes, why Why would you want to do an improvement activity where you could be improving things that nobody else does? Because they've already figured out better ways to do things. Now, does the benchmarking mean you're done? No, it means you've established the baseline from which you're going to work from. So it, it gives you a higher plateau to start at to now make your improvements from there and find out and learn from what other people have done. And especially if you can tap into organizations that have really been good and have a very good lean uh, activity in place, lean journey in place. So you can take a look at the amount of uh, things around here. They've got their project status and, and various activities, uh, do check planning, sustainment, that type of thing. So very, very active, aggressive uh, project activity throughout the organization. And it's not, like I said, it's not just, if you look at the bubbles, the Kaizen bubble is the smallest bubble of all of them. The other activities are, are much larger. And you got just do it's. Just do it's are something that can be done very quickly. The supervisor's involved. Uh, you're wanting to make sure that standard work is not um, going to be violated. There's a way to support and improve on standard work. So that's the just do it uh, type of activities. So our view from a cultural standpoint is really, you know, it comes down to being, I think, I think it's pretty simple. It comes down to saying, teach everybody how to solve problems. Um, so you got the plan, do, check, act cycle here. You've got A3 technology that can be used, A3 approach that can be used, uh, a one-page form to do the same, similar thing as far as a plan, do, check, act. Uh, you have other tools like the, the five whys to ask why five times to continue to peel back the onion and drill down to what are the uh, core root issues. But the biggest thing here is is the planning phase. And I think uh, we emphasize all the time the lack of people really clarifying what the problem is. They immediately thrust forward and start working on solutions and all that stuff. The biggest thing you can do, uh, I like the quote from Einstein. He said, if I had an hour to work on a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes defining what the problem is and the other five minutes solving it. And the same thing here. You need to understand really what the problem is. Now, I'll emphasize another thing here that I don't see showing up on PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act, 
or A3 problem solving processes is a little red box down the bottom. Ensure there is a good measurement system. You need to know that you have a good measurement system. The thing that you're measuring your process with may not be good. And in fact, in the manufacturing world, it's probably 85% of the time the manufacturing process measurement system needs to be worked on and improved. And if you don't know you have a good measurement system and it isn't clear, like things like operational definitions, so everybody understands what you're talking about, they have the same understanding, the same baseline, then you could be working on all this improvement cycle when in reality you've got a bad measurement system that's causing you the main problem. So I just want to emphasize that. Now, beyond that, if you're teaching people how to solve problems, I mean, this is kind of like pictorially what things should look like. You're going you're gonna to make an improvement. You're going to do a plan, do check, act, cycle. You're going to do an A3. You're going to do a just do it, uh, BPI, benchmarking. But it's going to wind up improving your standards. So your new standard of work, your work standard, standard work will go up. And then you need to lock it in and hold the gains. Uh, there's a lot of approaches. Uh, we have some pretty good methodologies to make sure that happens because you have to have full employee engagement in this. You can't just tell people what the new standard is and here's the new standard work. You have to take it a lot further as far as the steps you go through to make sure the people that are doing the new work understand what it is and they're fully engaged, bought in, and own it themselves. Otherwise, you're going to be always slipping backwards. And so we find always uh, with organizations, the biggest challenge that we see is establishing and maintaining you know, rigorous standard work. Big challenge. And there's, there's some good methodologies that we utilize that can really help that a lot. So teaching people how to solve problems, identify and solve problems. And then the other thing is if you can teach everyone how to identify and remove waste. And you got the two acronyms here. You got Tim Wood or downtime, which goes along with the words up above. Uh, the downtime, the N is for not utilizing people. And you've got the overprocessing, and that can be extra processing, the E in the downtime acronym. Tim Wood is just Tim Wood, and then the underutilized people would be the eighth waste. But as we know, you know, in a lot of these processes, it's our, our when we go in and work with a client, our challenge goal always to the client is we got to get at least a 50% improvement. That's 50%. And rarely do we not exceed that. And sometimes you're getting improvements of the magnitude of 90, 95% because there's so much waste in the organization. So you have to have find people have to understand that and find out ways to identify it and remove the waste. So that's a key element for people to learn. And then there's core leader, what we call core leadership development. And let me just zip back to that. So in the leadership development end of it, these are the elements that we view are important in leadership development. Now, leadership development for us is starts out with a 360 degree survey, anonymously done and submitted. Those results are um, compiled together and shared with some graphs and data with the particular leader that's going through the development. Uh, they come up with their action plan, what they think they should be working on, and then our one of our uh, consultants is going to coach them in terms of what our coach saw too, and then action plans developed. And then so addressing the major areas to make improvements on, to shift more into a lean lean leader type of thinking role. And then from there, uh, that's introduced over six monthly coaching sessions. So each individual will get in the neighborhood of an hour and a half coaching session once a month, face-to-face, -face, observing what's going on, observing the workplace, and talking about the progress that's being made. And at the end of that period of time, there's another 360-degree uh, survey that's done six months later, and then that, that information shared. Uh, we've seen dramatic increases in this area in employee engagement. Uh, factors in the order of magnitude of 50% improvement uh, and higher than that in employee engagement. The ingredients for key skills, I mean, you, you gotta practice. Managers have to practice. Uh, the Kata methodology, which is really Mike Rother was the key guy involved with that. 
which is basically taking a routine and practicing it. So, and then you got coaching to coach the individual. Nobody learns how to play golf by watching it on TV or reading the books and then mastery. And this quote is what I, I really, I really like a lot, which is the ability to take a new behavior and make it into an ingrained habit can only be done through deliberate practice and coaching. I want to say that again, the ability to take a new behavior and make it into an ingrained habit can only be done through deliberate practice and coaching. So uh, this, is, this is how you get there. You cannot train your way there. You cannot train people to, you know, sit in a class and learn how to be a great leader and a great supervisor. It has to come through somebody getting the knowledge and then practicing it and then having a coach really help them out to uh, make those kinds of improvements and gains. So you are indeed becoming ingrained with a new habit that sticks as opposed to, uh, we'll just put them through the uh, leadership training course and then they can go back to doing their normal job. So from a culture standpoint, uh, you know, we see the Des Moines, Iowa schools. I mean, this is, this is how they describe it. They're becoming leaner every day. And I think that's really the case. I mean, this is well embedded in the organization. Uh, I can tell you this, is it guaranteed to succeed if a new superintendent comes in the future? I mean, there's a lot of people that are well embedded and bought into this methodology. But if a new leader tries hard enough, they can do damage and undermine things too. So it's those are the challenges we have with leadership. But uh, Des Moines is, uh, I mean, a very proud organization of what they've done. They've been getting some national recognition. I've spoken spoken at a few conferences, uh, Wisconsin uh, Link, Link Government Conference and the Roanoke Conference that's coming up next week. So a lot of visibility for what they're doing. These are the areas, uh, just kind of for commercial for us, these are the areas that we're involved with. Uh, we've got states, cities, counties, and we've got states that we've assisted. So assisted means, you know, we've done maybe some pro bono work. We've come in and they've invited us in to have dialogue of, of how they can approach things differently, uh, how, how a lean uh, journey implementation strategy can be set up. And the states are, we have uh, currently 11 statewide master agreements that we're involved with and cities and counties, these are all areas where we've done work throughout the country. So um, I think we're in about, we've been in about 23 states with 37 clients coming up on a couple major ones uh, pretty soon that are going to encompass uh, quite a few agencies in a couple states. Uh, as Mark mentioned previously, uh, this is a book we have out, uh, Lean Government Now. It's uh, on Amazon. You can just, if you go into Amazon Books, and just type in the words lean government. This will come up as number one. It's done very well. And the difference about this book is it's it's not a telling a series of stories. It's basically a guideline. This is what we use as our training manual when we work with clients. So you have in there step-by-step -step, uh, training guidelines. You have in there uh, kind of a bulleted format of what to do, uh, what things not to do, uh, a lot of forms. Uh, a lot of uh, photograph examples from clients. It says government, but we found already that it's universally applicable to all sorts of sectors throughout the country. And as Mark said previously, if you got some government people that you want to influence, um, just you know, get them one of these books and sh give it to them. Ask them to read it. Have them, have them study what's in there and everything. They might get a little bit of excitement because government sure as heck can use uh, use this type of approach to really help themselves out. So with that in mind, um, I'm pretty much at the Q&A end of it. And Mark, you want to kind of take over from here. This is our website, the Lean Government Center. My email address is up there. If you want to reach me, it's hwk455 at comcast.net. Our website is www.leangovcenter.com. And on that site, there's all sorts of lean government examples in the country. If you 
basically clicked on the tab that said lean government government lean projects the first thing that would drop down in that tab would be government websites throughout the country so we act as a a clearinghouse for whatever government initiatives are happening not only in the united states but also areas like australia uh, uk canada so it's uh, pretty broad based as far as the information is available there the websites you can drill into of other entities doing lean in government and the des moines iowa school websites on there is a link and you can see uh, a lot of information is in there and the types of projects that have been going on uh, the type of training you've got a lot of training materials on there too so there's a wealth of knowledge that's available there and we continue to kind of monitor what's going on throughout the country and, and try as much as possible to share those things uh, through this website with everybody. So now I can turn it over to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, Harry. And Harry's contact info will uh, reappear here at the end. We'll encourage you to um, go ahead and continue submitting questions. We'll do a few announcements here, like Harry, have a sip of water and a lot of questions to come in. That's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> uh, our next webinars, we have two of them coming up in March. You can register uh, for both of those at kinexus.com slash webinars. I know for sure you can register for the March 5th webinar, which is a follow-up, a deeper dive into A3s with Jess Orr, who did a great presentation a couple of weeks ago. There were a lot of questions. She couldn't address them all. And so she's going to use those questions to build uh, an, another webinar that gives a deeper dive into A3 approach, uh, because that's what a lot of the questions were. And then on March 29th, we're going to hear from some improvement leaders uh, from Mary Greeley Medical Center in Iowa, in uh, Ames, Iowa area, um, not too far north of Des Moines. There's a lot of good lean stuff in the water there in uh, the state of Iowa. Um, they have been a Kinexus customer for years. They did a webinar a couple years ago. They're going to give us an update on their lean journey that's still going well. We'd invite you to check out some other resources, including uh, our library of past webinars. You can find those in the on-demand section of kinexus.com slash webinars. I'd encourage you to look at our blog at blog.kinexus.com. And we also have a podcast feed, which includes the audio of our webinars. If you want to uh, revisit what Harry presented here when you're on a flight or on a, a drive sometime or share it that way, you can find the Kinexus podcast pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. So with that, um, I have time for Q&A. Um, Harry, thanks for the presentation. When you so what's what is your source for the slide about why lean fails? Is that from from your experience? Was that a study? No, I think uh, it's it really started out with uh, Dr. Cotter in terms of those are the eight elements he talks about with introducing change in organizations, and so the the eight major things that were in red on the slide are the major elements that he feels needs to be in, in place to sustain a, a, a change in any organization. And what we've done from there is uh, adapted, adopted um, it to lean, lean implementations and put a lot of the points underneath. Uh, a lot of it very similar to, I mean, some of the points on there you would say are, are just very similar to any organization. And then there's some other points on there that are very specifically directed towards lean. Okay, um, that's another question. What has been, what have been the most successful methods used for bringing leadership on board with continuous improvement? Is it just as you mentioned, uh, or is it also a good idea to have a champion, champion of improvement put into a position to influence others? And I, I'm guessing that that champion, from, from what I heard you say, really needs to be the superintendent, the governor, the mayor, somebody like that. What, what are your thoughts, Harry? Well, I think, uh, you know, first of all, uh, those are the folks, the top level people in the organization should be the first ones that go through training. And it's not just a one hour overview thing. We, we believe in doing a, a pretty intensive two day workshop with preparation work ahead of time 
where they're coming in actually with projects that they want to work on, including, say, the agency director or secretary of the agency or division lead, whatever the case may be. So they're coming in and they're getting the first training because if they do that, uh, the lights go on. They understand they, they understand and connect the dots in terms of how this could be impactful in the organization. As far as an, a champion executive, I think, you know, generally our view is, uh, for example, we're working with another agency now, the deputy secretary of the agency is the executive champion. Um, reports is number two person in that particular agency. In the Des Moines School District, um, Tom Har Thomas Harper, who's the chief financial officer, is one of the top six people in the organization and reports to the superintendent. He's the executive champion. So it has to be somebody at a high enough level that has uh, a really significant firepower and clout and respect to the organization so people are taking this seriously and and that's coupled with the fact that the superintendent or the agency head or secretary or mayor or i say more city manager than mayor or county executive is saying to his or her team we're going to be going on this journey my expectations are very strong that you guys will be on board with us and you guys will be leading this and we want to make sure that happens. If any of you have any doubts about your commitment, let me know. Another question here about um, improvement leadership. At the Des Moines Public Schools, was having just one person in the improvement department, uh, if that, Emma, if that was the case, is that enough to conduct the needed teaching to spread the knowledge, assist with projects, et cetera? Well, they, they've chosen a role as a lean, coordin the lean coordinator, Emma, so she does some teaching. But if you look at what we're trying to do is I like to spread, you know, say we're spreading the lean disease. So Emma, even though she's she's the full time person, she has these stewards in the organization that know how to do some of the training and everything, and they have had experience on projects. See, it's, it's almost, I hate to say, use the word, but it's almost like a Ponzi scheme <laughs> that gets set up where you've got, uh, and it's unusual to have one person for 5,000. Uh, don't get me wrong on that. Uh, um, in Denton, Texas, we've got, let's um, just say Chuck Springer, who's the chief financial director, and there's 10 coaches down there. And so it's the same type of thing, but, if you look at the lean office, what's the purpose of it? The lean office is the purpose, in my view, is to have, uh, to have one or several folks that have really high levels of expertise that can work internally with, with the other people in the organization to develop those skill sets so they continue to multiply, as opposed to being the people that own, own the lean effort, and they're the ones that, if they aren't driving it, it, it isn't going to happen. That's That's not the purpose of the lean office. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this is a question, um, and you talked about this in the last webinar, and I, I would encourage the person to ask a question to go to the webinar library and, and find your first webinar about 10 commandments for lean in government or elsewhere. Um, what do you mean by dynamic data collection? Yeah, dy dynamic data collection, uh, we are the only guys that do that, to my knowledge, is they're very simple tools that can be used in, in the work area so that the employees that are actually doing the work are also capturing the data that day. It's not Excel spreadsheet or anything. It could be as easy as pictures and just ticking off on the picture where an error or a rework is being initiated because of what's coming in. And so the employee has, instead of a rear view mirror, I mean, most of the data we get is like, okay, what happened last month? Well, dynamically, that could change quite a bit. Dynamic data collection is we're collecting data today by the people actually working on the process. So they see what's going on, and if they see what's going on, they're starting to come up with ideas and ways to make improvements and solve those things, and they become much more engaged in what's happening. And as opposed to waiting for their supervisor to say, hey, uh, we had this problem last month. It seems like we got a lot of errors in this area. Uh, let's let's try and put a team together to work on that. So you can, you can engage people very easily with this uh, pretty much across the board to start looking at processes and capturing uh, easy data, checklists, concentration diagrams, things of that nature, pictures, 
uh, of what screenshots from a computer, for example. You can do it on screenshots that are printed off a computer and understand where the errors and rework are. And it'll give you a pattern, and the pattern is never uniformly distributed. There's always uh, concentrations of areas that are really high up. And so if you understand where those are, you can now start doing a root cause analysis and making improvements and making the process better. People get a really big kick out of that when they, when they see that happening. Right. Another question about data. Um, how can we ensure that we have a good measurement system? Is that a Six Sigma topic? Yeah, it's 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 in the Six Sigma realm, uh, certainly. I mean, I'm a Six Sigma master black belt. In in government, you've got more. You're more into the judgmental areas of uh, measurement. So let's let's use an example. So if a social worker was going out into the field to make a uh, an assessment of an individual in, in their home and wanted to determine uh, what is their ability to feed themselves, which is, you know, eating is an adult daily living skill, for example. How would they do that? How would they measure that that person has a certain capability? And how would they measure it? And then how would other social workers that saw the same scenario, how would they measure it? And, you know, when we've done that, at times in the government processes, we find the variations all over the place. So you can, if you said, okay, there's four, say there's six levels of capability, we can measure on a scale of one to six, and then people observe what's happening. And if somebody observes it's a one and somebody observes it's a six, I mean, you, you got huge variations. So that's, that's where you need to have a lot of training to become much more consistent in how you measure things. Mm -hmm. Uh, another question, depending on how long your answer is, it might be the last question or when squeezing. <laughs> this is a meaty, meaty question, no easy answer. But as a consultant, how do you deal with a newbie client who wants to tell you what to teach them? Wow. <laughs> uh, Mark can identify with that one too. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a real challenge because you, you – you know, it's one of the slides I presented at the beginning. It's, uh, don't worry, we got this. Right. We already know what needs to happen. So here's what you need to teach us. And uh, that's that's a very tough situation to be in because unless, well, here, here's the situation. Unless you have people at the leaner, leadership end of it that are clearly trained practicing lean sense size, then I would say, okay, I'll go along with that. These guys know what they're talking about. But if it's somebody else that's just, you know, seen a couple of videos or saw some training materials or attended a couple of Kaizen events, then it's a difficult road to get over. I think, you know, from a management leadership standpoint, if somebody doesn't have a reasonable level of humility and has things what we call bright person's disease, which means I'm so smart that no matter what happens, I know what can be done and what should be done. And they're not going to really pay attention to an outside uh, person who's coming in to help like ourselves. Not, it's not a heck of a lot you can do there. You can demonstrate some successes and maybe they'll get it. But I think, you know, it depends. I mean, a lot of them got there based on those skill sets, mm -hmm. telling people what to do and directing people what to do and uh, thinking they're extremely smart with great academic credentials. But uh, you, you got to get through those people, and sometimes it's it's impossible. I, I don't. It, it's 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 difficult. It's the balance of a of a consultant, uh, the the struggle of not just responding to what the client says they need, but trying to shape their view of that. And you know, I guess you know the other point I'll make. You mentioned humility. There's a book I've I've mentioned a couple times on the webinars. I really enjoyed this book called Toyota by Toyota that was written by. A bunch of uh, people who worked at the Toyota Georgetown plant. And chapter one of that book is really on the theme of leading with humility. And I've never had anyone reach out. I don't know if you've seen it in an RFP area. If anyone's asked for humility training. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's possible. But Our RFPs, RFQs usually go like this. Here's how many Kaizen events we want to do. Here's how many people who want to have trained. Here's how many green belts we want. Here's how many black belts we want. Yeah. 
uh, here's how we want the training to go on. Here, here's what we think you should do. Uh, please quote a one-hour overview for executives, and then that's all they need. You know, so that's the stuff you face. And then you're hoping that once you get in there in the final stages of setting things up, you can you know, work your magic and convince people and also give them a bunch of references that they can talk to that will say, hey, you know, here, here's what happened, and here's what we saw, and here's the results we got. But yeah. I mean, if somebody is just adamant that here's the way they're going to manage things, it's uh, it's a very difficult challenge. Yeah, it is. But thank you for sharing thoughts today, Harry. Um, challenges and great ideas around lean adoption strategies. I would encourage people to check out the website. Go find the book Lean Government Now. And if you'd like to go ahead and register for the next webinar, there is a link to that in the chat box if you want to um, Go ahead and click on that. I would also encourage you to please fill out uh, the survey um, that will come up at the end. And if you've got suggestions for topics you'd like to see addressed in future webinars, please let us know through the survey or you can email me. Uh, but Harry, thank you again for um, taking time and doing another webinar for us here at Kinexus. Uh, on behalf of the entire team, thanks. Uh, it's my pleasure working with you again, Mark. It's got a great team there. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye.